Hello, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to the August 17th episode of the, of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at numbers 1861 through 1869 of the Catechism. 1861. Mortal sin is a radical possibility of human freedom, as is love itself. It results in the loss of charity and the privation of sanctifying grace, that is, of the state of grace. If it is not redeemed by repentance and God's forgiveness, it causes exclusion from God's kingdom, and the eternal death of hell for our freedom has the power to make choices forever, with no turning back. However, although we can judge that an act is in itself a grave offence, we must entrust judgment of persons to the justice and mercy of God. 1862. One commits venial sin when, in a less serious matter, one does not observe the standard prescribed by the moral law, or when one disobeys the moral law in a grave matter, but without full knowledge or without complete consent. 1863. Venial sins weakens charity. It manifests a disordered affection for created goods. It impedes the soul's progress in the exercise of the virtues and the practice of the moral good. It merits temporal punishment. Deliberate and unrepented venial sins disposes us little by little to commit mortal sin. However, venial sin does not break the covenant with God. With God's grace, it is humanly repairable. Venial sin does not deprive the sinner of sanctifying grace, friendship with God, charity and consequently eternal happiness. While he is in the flesh, man cannot help but have at least some light sins. But do not despise these sins, which we call light. If you take them for light, when you weigh them, tremble when you count them. A number of light objects makes a great mass. A number of drops fills a river. A number of grains makes a heap. What then is our hope above all confession? 1864. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. There are no limits to the mercy of God. But anyone who deliberately refuses to accept this mercy by, rege- by repenting rejects the forgiveness of his sins and the salvation offered by the Holy Spirit. Such hardness of heart can lead to final imp- impenitence and eternal loss. 5. The Proliferation of Sin 1865. Sin creates a proclivity to sin. It it engenders vice by repetition of the same acts. This results in perverse inclinations which cloud conscience and corrupt the concrete judgment of of good and evil. Thus sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself, but it cannot destroy the mortal nature at its root. 1866. Vices can be classified according to the virtues they oppose, or also be linked to the capital sins, which Christian experience has distinguished. Following St. John Cassian and Gregory the Great, they are called capital because they engender other sins, other vices. They are pride, avarice, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth or achidia. 1867. The catechetical tradition also recalls that there are sins that cry to heaven. The blood of Abel, the sin of the Sodomites, the cry of the people oppressed in Egypt, the cry of the foreigner, 
the widow and the orphan, and justice to the wage earner. 1868. Sin is a personal act. Moreover, we have a responsibility for the sins committed by others when we cooperate in them, by participating directly and voluntarily in them, by ordering, advising, praising or approving them, by not disclosing or not hindering them when we have an obligation to do so, by protecting evildoers. 1869. Thus sin makes men accomplices of one another and causes concupiscence, violence and injustice to reign among them. Sins give rise to social situations and institutions that are contrary to divine goodness. Structures of sin are the expression and the effect of personal sins. They lead their victims to do evil. In their turn, in an analogous sense, they constitute a social sin. Okay, so we're finishing this uh, section on sin. And um, again, just to see um, that, um, that there is the, uh, also the venial sin. So we have this, um, this venial sin that do not totally extinguish the life of grace in us, unlike the mortal sin, uh, but that, again, are something that are important. I suppose one thing to see is that we never commit a mortal sin from one second to another. It's not that you can murder somebody from nothing. Usually, mortal sin takes a lot of practice, which are the venial sins. Usually, we do many small sins. And again, as Kerrigan saying, these small sins can add up. But also, these small sins prepare us for the big sin. So, sometimes it's very hard to fight against the big sin. So, the to fight against mortal sins. So, the really the best uh, way forward for most of us is to fight against the venial sins, to fight against the small sins. And it's like they say about uh, economy, if you take care of the cents, the dollars take care of themselves. And uh, it's the same with sins. If we take care of the more of the venial sins, if we fight against the venial sins, then please God, the mortal sins will be uh, won't won't be as uh, won't be as as prevalent. And so this whole uh, thing of sin that we have, uh, that we're living in a world that has many sins, there's a lot of sin in this world. And just to, to keep that in mind, because today sin is something that isn't talked about. You know, you can talk about the most, uh, I don't know, you can talk about the sexuality has become so in your face. You can have such uh, graphic articles, even in normal newspapers, even on primetime television. There can be such graphic um, uh, depictions of sexuality. And yet sin is something that is never used. The word even, many people today don't even understand the word sin. And so to understand that what sin is, is already a great grace for us. To allow us to see what the sin is. And then, so that then we can repent. It's like the symptoms of sickness. Even pain. Pain can be very good because if you didn't have pain, you wouldn't realise that you had a sickness. And if you didn't realise that you had the sickness... It could kill you even if it was curable. And the same thing for us to see our sins is a great grace. One of the greatest graces that is there is to see our sins. Because if we see our sins, if we are aware of our sins, then we can repent. It's not about wallowing in our sins. It's not about being proud of our sins. But to see them, to realize them, can allow us to come back to the Lord with humility. Not demanding things from him, but to treat him with humility, 
to see our sin and this way to be able to depend on the grace of God to receive it. Because if we think we're perfect, then we don't need God. Then we only need God to give us a medal and not to cure us. And Christ comes to cure. And so we have this section of the, the catechism dealing with sin. Then also it talks about the different uh, capital sins or deadly sins as they're often called in English. And these pride, avarice, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony and sloth are the uh, deadly sins. They're the ones that can really pull us down. And um, then it also speaks about sins that cry to heaven. Sometimes there are sins that cry to heaven. Shedding, shedding innocent blood. Um, homosexuality. The cry of the people oppressed in Egypt. Oppressing others. Oppressing the foreigner. The widow. And the orphan. And injustice towards the wage earner. Again, 1867 of the Catechism gives these as things sins that cry out to heaven. Again, I know the, the one about the homosexuality might be a bit difficult for people to understand. Please just wait until we deal with homosexuality in and of itself in the Catechism. Later on, it'll be in a couple of weeks' time. But it's important. It's an important uh, part of the Catechism to see. That's often it's perhaps the part of the Catechism that's most misunderstood. But anyway, it lists it here as one of the sins that cry to heaven and uh, to see that we need especially to take care of those who are less fortunate than us. This is uh, very important to take care of the poor, to take care of those who work for us. All these things are very important. And, uh, and then to see that although sin is always personal, sometimes it's very easy to say that we're in a sinful society. We're in a sinful century. Lovely. Sinful society, sinful century. Yeah, but that can kind of mean that I don't have to do anything. I can stay where I am and wait for the society to repent and wait for the century to repent. And no, we have to repent ourselves. All sin is personal. However, yes, we can cooperate in the sin of somebody else. We can help the sin of somebody else, which is also sinful for us. And then, yes, also we can, we can uh, create these uh, structures of sin that need to be fought against. But again, the structure of sin is made up by many individual sinners, by many individual sins. So this is the end of the section on sin. And so we'll just read the in brief. 1870. God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he may have mercy upon them all. 1871. Sin is an utterance, a deed or a desire contrary to the eternal laws. It is an offence against God. It rises up against God in a, civ in a disobedience contrary to the obedience of Christ. 1872. Sin is an act contrary to reason. It wounds man's nature and injures human solidarity. 1873. The root of all sins lies in man's heart. The kinds and gravity of sins are determined principally by their objects, 1874, to choose deliberately, that is both knowing it and willing it, something gravely contrary to the divine law, and to the ultimate end of man is to commit a mortal sin. This destroys in us the charity without which eternal beatitude is impossible. Unrepentant, it believes it brings eternal death. 1875, venial sins constitute a moral disorder, that is reparable by charity, which it allows to subsist in us. 
1876, the repetition of sins, even venial ones, engenders vices, among which are the capital sins. Very well, so we'll continue tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll be looking at numbers 1877 through 1885. God bless.